Welcome to Co-Parent Court, the court where parents forget the drama and work through the trauma. Today, we are going to deviate from our usual platform, and we have some special guests with us. We are going to talk about or hear from Minister Troy Reed, who's going to share with us his perspective uh, with Black history. And this series, it's a three-part series, and, and Minister Reed is our first guest. This series is being brought to you or presented by ATU International Black Caucus of the Southwest Region. And representing that uh, board is Valerie Jefferson. So, Ms. Jefferson, if you will, share with us who you are, who you represent, and also some background information about the series and how it was put together. Yes, I'm glad to do that. My name is Valerie Jefferson. I am the executive board member of the ATU International Black Caucus, Southwest Region. But let me tell you a little something about the ATU International Black Caucus. The Black Caucus of the International ATU uh, president is Jeff, Jeffrey Richardson from New York. The ATU International president is John Acosta. We are here to represent the transit employees that work for transit companies. That's all over the United States and Canada. The ATU International Black Caucus this month is focusing on Black history. This came to my heart about the history of the African-Americans in transit, in union, that lives in America. Also, our past, our present, and our future. So we're going to go step by step, video by video. And our first guest speaker is Minister Troy Reed. I'm going to hand you over to Minister Reed. Uh, good evening to those who are listening now to whom it may concern about uh, the past of America, the American Negro. I seek to address this audience with some sensitive words, but powerful truths about the past of the American Negro. It has been a very lengthy, rugged, and brutal past of the Negro's experience here in America. I must mention up front, as I speak about some of the vital issues of the Negro's plight, that I am a firm believer and a follower of the teachings of Jesus having been baptized by him in his purging Holy Spirit of truth and righteousness. So on occasions, you will hear the preacher in me because I believe that the binding force that holds all of life's social, political, religious, and psychological aspects of all humanity together is the divine power of the Almighty God, the creator of the universe. And he unselfishly authored and gave dominion to mankind to rule and govern the earthly realm in which we all are born into until he returns. And God the Creator is an active daily participant in the affairs of every individual and nation that uh, has uh, problems between the good and the evil forces of the world. It is a social 
philosophical fact and religious truth that mankind is at war with the physical and spiritual struggle of his inner person to the universe as every nation has to struggle for the sacred good that keeps all of his people morally and psychologically at peace. Many of the great philosophers describe the struggle between the mind and the body, whereas religion describes it as the battle between the spirit and flesh. Plato said that the body is just a shell, a prison house of the soul. Apostle Paul says that the flesh lusts against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh. The flesh produces adultery, fornication, uh, uncleanness, lewdness, hatred, contentiousness, and jealousness. Spirit, however, produces love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, and gentleness. Spiritual or unreligious, these positive and negative attributes are the reason every country has laws that govern the behavior of the land. I brought this human characteristics out up front because all mankind has a common experience with this individual and collectively as a people. Also that we can see this is a important reason for America, shameful sin of slavery against the Negro in America. The flesh of America failed to yield to the spirit of America that said all men are created equal, that they are endowed by their creator with certain inalienable rights, that among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. And therefore, excluding the Negro as a part of all people created by God with an eternal soul. America reduced the Negro to only three-fifths of a person in the American Constitution, being only a thing to be used, not a person to be respected, committing an abominable act against God. The Creator declined that he made a mistake when he came to the black man, that he was not in the image of God. Consequently, this gave birth to the mass Atlantic slave trade, where the Negro was brought here by force in chains as commodity, as a product for sale and used in labor, having no rights that the white man had to respect, making life a tyranny of despair for the Negro with some of the most inhumane torture to break his will to ever think of being a human being. This left the Negro thinking seriously within himself what these so-called founding fathers of our nation really loving and noble men who knew the creator they mentioned in the Declaration of Independence. Such a sacred document which was so proudly professed but ever sadly practiced because of the Negro was able to listen to the Bible producing, and he knew that God through Jesus said that he came, that all men might have life, that they might have it more abundantly. He heard John's gospel that the mountains was to be made low, the deep valleys filled, the rough places made smooth, 
and the crooked places made straight. Well, to the Negro, uh, this never happened. This was never mentioned in the American Constitution. None of these things came to be true. The Negro mountains of life are still, in many cases, not low. His valleys are not filled, but dug deeper. Through repeat, repealing many of the gains he have made in his life. His rough roads are still rocky with red tape of bureaucracy and policies that make it hard for him to get the good things of life. And the crooked places that the creator intended to be made straight for him has been fabricated by fake straight roads that lead the Negro to crooked ends. Therefore, when he looks up and do the math, although he does not have the chains around his neck and legs physically, they are economically still have them bound to him. Because in today's world, he has only one-tenth of what his white brother has as it relates to economic power. For every hundred dollars held by the white household, the black household has only $15. White America holds 84% of total U.S. wealth, but make up only 60% of the population, while black Americans hold 4% of the wealth and make up 13% of the population. In 1870, uh, right after the Emancipation Proclamation, all of the proposals to give now the free Negro land that he could cultivate for himself was defeated. Having the wealth gap made 23 to one, meaning that the white man's to his every hundred dollars, the Negro only had $4. Now you fast forward to 150 years later, that gap is only six to one. Think of that. My brothers and sisters, this is a disheartening fact that not only has the old right-wing segregations of this country defeated the 40 acres in the mule decision for the Negro, but all throughout the Negro struggle, there has been evil forces in America determined to not allow the Negro to become an economical owner of the land in which he laid the foundation. In 1865, President Abraham Lincoln sent his Secretary of War, Edwin Stanton, to meet with 20 black preachers to discuss what would the 4 million now free Negroes mean to the Southern Society of America. The minister selected Garrison Frazier to be their spokesperson. Stanton asked the question, what now to the free blacks? who were soldiers in the war. What now to the many slaves that are freed on the plantation? What would be the vital path for them, he asked the preachers. The black minister's answer was the answer that the Christian faith hinges on. It was the answer, was the answer that is God's will for all of his children that he put here on earth. And that is that every man would live in the land of milk and honey and his own vine and fig tree and study war no more and not be afraid. 
This is what the minister said in another way to Stanton when they told him that we want our land and we want our own land. Well, we can cultivate our land and build our own inheritance to pass down to our children. We want our rights and we want the federal government to protect our rights and leave us alone. We might live peacefully in the land. Well, it seems like a concrete agreement was reached. General Sherman issued what was called the Field Order of the 15th Act, which confiscated land of the old defeated Confederates over 400,000 acres and distributed to the now freed Negro. And also there were thousands of mules available after the war so this is where the 40 acres in the mule terminology came into play. It seemed like the noble divine spirit of America had reunited itself through repentance and turned to his once declared Negro slave three-fifths of a person and said, we now declare you as our common brother in life. Together, as free man, we can black and white and dwell in the land together. Well, unfortunately, Abraham Lincoln was assassinated less, in less than a year. All of the land that was given to the Negro was ordered by interim president Andrew Johnson back to the slave owners. Some of the free slaves fought back, but to no avail. And this was, my brothers and sisters, you can say a pivotal moment that ignited the seed of Jim Crow and the segregated South. In 1896, you got the separate but equal in the Plessis Ferguson case. This act of the Southern Negationists was always to have the strict enforcement of the separate without the slightest intention to abide by the equal which gave uprising to various Negro leaders to charter the equality of the black man that he would be able to be respected as a person and not demoralized by epithets of boy and nigger. So Booker T. Washington rose up and authored to the Negro what he called from slavery, up from slavery, creating the Alabama Tuskegee Institute where Negroes could the necessary skills to inject them into the U.S. economy. George Washington Carver rose up and brought the peanut, the soybean, and the sweet potatoes to counteract the reliance on cotton. In the early 1900s, then comes the NWACP, which was created with one of its founders, W.D. Du Bois, established America and such where he began to fight for the abolitionists of the Negro. With the exploding of violence and hostility toward the black man, lynching became a main and major fear tactic of the white segregationists to the Negro, to keep the Negro suppressed from fighting for his equal rights. And NAWCP became the vital organization to abolish all segregation laws, enforce the 14th and the 15th Amendment, 
to fight for equal education for black and white students and fought for the complete enfranchisement of all black men. There were others in between that helped the past of the Negro to get where he are today, such as Marcus Garvis, the Harlem Renaissance period, Negroes who broke the racial barriers in sports, Jackie Robinson and others. But to cap it off, this brief discussion, and I say brief because there's a host of trails to follow, if we would but pause to take notice. I close with one that is very dear to my heart and I believe to many African-American Negroes who fight for the advancement of equality for a united America that we wish to see today. And that is the Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. His life, I believe, was a summary of the so many who I've early mentioned in my talk of their aspirations and hopes of the Negro because his powerful baritone voice and eloquent speeches and preachings voiced the spirit of the prophets and of the old prophets who said simply, let my people go. I believe sent by God with the one mission to give the Negro a modern day Moses to let them know that God was on their side for freedom. Modern ministry started by no accident right across the street from the capital of the Confederacy in Montgomery, Alabama. He championed his first victory with the Montgomery bus boycott for 381 days. He moved to the Birmingham campaign where his famous letter from Birmingham was written. Then to Bloody Sunday and the Selma March for the voting rights of all Negroes. Then off to Chicago for fair housing for the Negroes and better homes. And finally to Memphis, Tennessee, he went to fight for the garbage workers for their wages. And at the same time, he waged a campaign for the poor people's campaign for all Americans. Now, my brothers and sisters, I must close. Enough been said, and there's much still to say. But if anything I can leave in this podcast with all of my listeners is that we have to continue the fight for the rights of all people and in the spirit of the power of Jesus Christ. Our goal can only be one, and that is to seek to save the soul of America, that she might be born again with a spirit of true uniteness, that love and respect, the dignity and worth of all of God's children. I hope I... Thank you, uh, Minister Reed. You know, I, I was writing down some notes. You did a great job. And I know you're presenting, but I have a question that if you could just elaborate on. Because, you know, when we when I listen to you, it, it, it's as if you're about to preach. You know, you, you talked about uh, Dr. Martin Luther <laughs> King and you carry some, uh, you can hear, you know, the pastor in you or the, the minister in you or the preacher in you. But what do you see as the church's role today, knowing all of the history that we've been through and that you shared with us 
of advancing uh, blacks in America? Well, I see, uh, and that's why I mentioned the meeting with Stanton and the black preachers. You see, it's no accident that God wanted to be a theocracy, not a bureaucracy. History has always showed us that God confronted all governments about truth. Even though they may be in power, God wants every nation to know that he is the central power. And um, because that is the Christian beginning that every nation blessings hinges on God, because he said that to Abraham, through you, every nation going to be blessed. So we have to be the light. The church has to be the centerpiece. And so often we get ministers talking about, oh, I don't want to be political. I don't want to be in politics. Well, what can be more political than God? <laughs> okay. But God is just politically. He's righteously in politics. Okay. He have, like he said, uh, uh, who that, I think it was uh, uh, Michael. Uh, God is looking for just men who will walk humbly with, with their God. So he's not against politics. He just wants politics to be on the right side of truth. And uh, so I believe the church's role is to take leadership, to be the headlight and not the taillight. See, because we know uh, what is truth. We got the keys to the answers of society. And everything hinges on morality. And uh, uh, I believe Abraham Lincoln understood that. And guess what? He went to slave preachers back then and talked to them and said, what shall we do? And they gave him a real answer. Give us land. Okay. And then in the small weakness of their place where they didn't have much, they stood strong and built with nothing. Okay. And here we are. Got a million dollar churches, got a million dollar ministries, and we do less. So I believe the church is supposed to be in the center of it. And we're supposed to be in the center of it, not necessarily trying to be a politician, but trying to guide the nation in the moral way that God wants all people to be blessed. All right. Thank you for that, okay. Valerie. Go ahead. Yes. Okay, thank you for that, uh, Minister Reed. That was so inspiring and also knowledgeable as well. But I want uh, you to uh, answer this question or give your, I want to say, your opinion or your comments on uh, justice. Um, I am a very active member of the ATU in New Orleans. I am the labor chair. Uh, also the executive board. So I really believe in justice. I really believe that Dr. Martin Luther King, since you mentioned him, Dr. Martin Luther King was speaking and standing up for justice. Uh, the way he fought, he didn't fight with his hand or with weapons. He fought with words. He fought with knowledge. Um, he spoke to the compassion of of the human being as a race, as us as a race, that we need to be respected. Uh, we need to be recognized as one of God's uh, creation that he created us for him, right? So can you tell us something uh, about justice, speaking on justice for African-Americans? Well, justice... 
you can't get around justice because justice is God. Justice is centrally truth. Uh, because there's no if there's no truth, there's no justice. Mm -hmm. uh, and uh, I believe this is where we talked and I talked about it in my piece when I said America had a document of justice, but it practiced an act of injustice. Mm -hmm. Okay. It said it right from heaven that all men are created equal. That's biblically true. Okay. Because we mm -hmm. all fell to the same flight. You know, white man got to die, we got to die. White mm -hmm. man gonna suffer, we suffer. So, mm -hmm. you know, all this, you know, I'm privileged and you unprivileged. I don't know where to get that from. I think it was Solomon said the rich man go to the grave and the poor man go to the grave. Okay. So God ain't have no injustice when he came down to that. He said, everybody get the same punch. Okay. So justice is that if you see me as a man, if I, the blood types are the same, okay, in all men, okay, so our, our layer makes the difference in us. It's not our inner person, okay? Uh, I mean, we can have children with different races, interracially, okay? I mean, monkeys and humans don't have kids, okay? So we all equal. We people. So justice is when I can live in a land where I can have equal, equal participant to make laws in this land that also affects my life. If I don't have that power to make laws or have the consider on boards that make laws and you just keep it for a certain group, well, that's not justice. And that's what we have in America. Okay. It shouldn't be lily white. Okay. It shouldn't be, you know, all black. Okay. It should be whatever the makeup of the country in that we all can make them laws. And justice is when every man can have a fair opportunity, an unbiased opportunity to be able to have equal access to everything. Okay. And we can't be first in war and last in the things that we live every day on. See, they put you on the front line when you come down the wall. You can be, you just as in that. You can be first, you can get, you know, get shot. But when it comes down to the good things in life, you put us last. And that's injustice. And that's all we're talking about here. And it's not for me, black man to get ahead or the white man to get ahead. We all to get ahead together. It's about good and bad. So I believe justice lies in the hand of fairness, honesty, and most of all, truth and love. And I believe we find it there. Thank you. Thank you. That was, in my, in my opinion, that was a very good answer. We really appreciate you. Mm -hmm. We thank you um, for coming on. Uh, we ask that, uh, that you continue your hard work. Uh, your commitment to the church and your commitment to justice. When you were speaking, it made me think about what Dr. West uh, said about justice. He said, justice is showing love publicly. Uh, yeah, yeah, that's what he, yeah, that's what he said. Yeah. So, so um, I'm, I'm going to end right here. Um, I, I want to ask everyone, if you want to know anything else about ATU International. You go to ATU.org. If you want to know anything about ATU International Black Caucus Southwest Region, you can go to our website. We have a website. It's ATU South. Thank you for joining us on this first series. We have two more to go. Also, I want to announce. I want to announce we have a, a in-person program. It will be February the 25th at Historic St. James 
I'm sorry, is at Historic A-M-E. Historic A-M-E. Church, <laughs> South James Church in New Orleans, Louisiana. The pastor is Dr. Philip. We'll be there at 2 o'clock. So we hope to see you there. Thank you again. So, Valerie, what, what day is that? Is that a, a weekend? That's a Sunday. That's Sunday. February the 25th, Sunday at 2 o'clock. Let me say this again. This program will be February the 25th at 2 o'clock at the historic AME St. James Methodist Church in New Orleans, Louisiana. All right. Thank you, Valerie. And on behalf of Co-Parent Court, it has indeed been my pleasure to have both of you as a guest today. And we'll look forward to the next two sessions where Valerie has uh, gotten us more inspirational speakers that can help uh, enlighten us as it comes to the past, the present, and the future when it's related to uh, Black people uh, in this country. So with that, we will end. And again, find us on any social media, share it, like it, and just try and spread the word. And even though we celebrate Black history during February, we know every day is Black History Day. Have a great day. Hi, and thank everyone for joining us and watching the series, the Black History Series. And as a reminder to you, the Black History Series is being presented by ATU International Black Caucus, Southwest Region. And today we have George DeQueer Jr., who represents ATU 1546. So George, if you would just share with us briefly who you represent and some information that may be important that you want the audience to know. Certainly. Hello, my name is George DeQueer. I'm the current president business agent of ATU Local 1546 in Baton Rouge, Louisiana. Uh, I represent and the rest of my executive officers represent the employees at Capital Area Transit System, the public entity, transit entity here in Baton Rouge, Louisiana, along with the shuttle operators on the LSU campus. Uh, we represent bus uh, drivers, mechanics, utility techs, and custodians. I'm also a member of uh, the ATU 1546 uh, newly, uh, newly chartered Black Caucus under the direction of our first ever uh, ATU 1546 Black Caucus President, Inez Jackson, and Vice President, Dante Jackson. All right, so on behalf of all of the memberships, all of the union members, it was our pleasure to bring you the series, the Black History Series, and it is our hope that not only will you watch this one, but there are two additional uh, sessions that we hope you would tune into. Again, on behalf of Co-Parent Court, I am Judge Rochelle Jackson, and we thank you for tuning in. Have a great day. Thank you. You as well.